launch the Bible Project. And you'll notice if you open up your bulletin inside, you'll see like a really creative, artistic drawing. I did not do that, just to let you know. Um, But this is the drawing we're going to watch come to life in just a few minutes. Um, We're starting the Bible Project. And again, if you're new here, um, we're telling people that you can go online and go on the Bible Project. Or you can actually download the app to your phone or your iPad and follow along there. But every now and then, we're going to show you some videos that these two men in Portland, Oregon, put together. Uh, They made a video for each book of the Bible. In fact, for some of the books, they had to divide it. So today, you're going to see the video for the first half of the book of Genesis, and then we're going to talk about it. So let's bring the lights down, and we'll watch the video now. The book of Genesis... It's the first book of the Bible, and its storyline divides into two main parts. There's chapters 1 through 11, which tell the story of God and the whole world. And then there's chapters 12 through 50, which zoom in and tell the story of God and just one man, Abraham, and then his family. And these two parts are connected by a hinge story at the beginning of chapter 12. And this design, it gives us a clue to how to understand the message of the book as a whole and how it introduces the story of the whole Bible. So the book begins with God taking the disorder and the darkness described in the second sentence of the Bible, and God brings out of it order and beauty and goodness. He makes a world where life can flourish. And God makes these creatures called humans, or Adam in Hebrew. He makes them in his image, which has to do with their role and purpose in God's world. So the humans are made to be reflections of God's character out into the world. And they're appointed as God's representatives to rule his world on his behalf. Which in context means to harness all of its potential, to care for it, and make it a place where even more life can flourish. God blesses the humans. It's a key word in this book. And he gives them a garden. It's like a place from which they begin starting to build this new world. Now, the key is that the humans have a choice about how they're going to go about building this world. And that's represented by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Up till now, God has provided and defined what is good and what is not good. But now God is giving the humans the dignity and the freedom of a choice. Are they going to trust God's definition of good and evil, or are they going to seize autonomy and define good and evil for themselves? And the stakes are really high. To rebel against God is to embrace death because you're turning away from the giver of life himself. This is represented by the tree of life. And so in chapter 3, a mysterious figure, a snake, enters into the story. The snake's given no introduction other than it's a creature that God made. And it becomes clear that it's a creature in rebellion against God, and it wants to lead the humans into rebellion and their death. The snake tells a different story about the tree and the choice. It says that seizing the knowledge of good and evil are not going to bring death, that it's actually the way to life and becoming like God themselves. Now, the irony of this is tragic because we know the humans, they're already like God. They were made to reflect God's image. But instead of trusting God, the humans seize autonomy. They take the knowledge of good and evil for themselves. And in an instant, the whole story spirals out of control. The first casualty is human relationships. The man and the woman, they suddenly realize how vulnerable they are now. They can't even trust each other. And so they make clothes and they hide their bodies from one another. 
The second casualty is that intimacy between God and the humans is lost. So they go and run and hide from God, and then when God finds them, they start this game of blame-shifting about who rebelled first. Now, right here, the story stops, and there's a series of short poems where God declares to the snake and then to the humans the tragic consequences of their actions. God first tells the snake that despite its apparent victory, it is destined for defeat to eat dust. God promises that one day a seed or a descendant will come from the woman who's going to deliver a lethal strike to the snake's head, which sounds like great news, but this victory is going to come with a cost because the snake too will deliver a lethal strike to the descendant's heel as it's being crushed. It's a very mysterious promise of this wounded victor. But in the flow of the story so far, you see this is an act of God's grace. The humans, they've just rebelled. And what does God do? He promises to rescue them. But this doesn't erase the consequences of the human's decision. So God informs them that now every aspect of their life together at home and out in the field, it's going to be fraught with grief and pain because of the rebellion, all leading to their death. From here, the story then spirals downward. Chapters 3 through 11, they trace the widening ripple effect of the rebellion and of human relationships fracturing at every level. So there's a story about two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain's so jealous of his brother that he wants to murder him. And God warns him not to give in to the temptation, but he does anyway. He murders him in the field. So Cain then goes on to build a city where violence and oppression reign. And this is all epitomized in the story of Lamech. He's the first man in the Bible to have more than one wife. He's accumulating them like property. And then he goes on to sing a short song about how he's more violent and vengeful than Cain ever was. After this, we get an odd story about the sons of God, which could refer to evil angelic beings, or it could refer to ancient kings who claimed that they descended from the gods. And like Lamech, they acquire as many wives as they wanted, and they produce the Nephilim, these great warriors of old. Whichever view is right, the point is that humans are building kingdoms that fill God's world with violence and even more corruption. In response, we're told that God is broken with grief. Humanity is ruining his good world, and they're ruining each other. And so out of a passion to protect the goodness of his world, he washes it clean of humanity's evil with a great flood. But he protects one blameless human, Noah, and his family, and he commissions him as a new Adam. He repeats the divine blessing and commissions him to go out into the world. And so our hopes are really high, but then Noah fails too, and also in a garden. He goes and he plants a vineyard, and he gets drunk out of his mind. And then one of his sons, Ham, does something shameful to his father in the tent. And so here we have our new Adam, naked and ashamed just like the first, and the downward spiral begins again. It all leads to the foundation of the city of Babylon. The people of ancient Mesopotamia, they come together around this new technology they have, the brick. And they can make cities and towers bigger and faster than anybody's ever done before. And they want to build a new kind of tower that will reach up to the gods, and they will make a great name for themselves. It's an image of human rebellion and arrogance. It's the garden rebellion now writ large. And so God humbles their pride and scatters them. 
Now, this is a diverse group of stories, but you can see they're all exploring the same basic point. God keeps giving humans the chance to do the right thing with his world, and humans keep ruining it. These stories are making a claim that we live in a good world that we have turned bad, that we've all chosen to define good and evil for ourselves, and so we all contribute to this world of broken relationships, leading to conflict and violence and ultimately death. But there's hope. God promised that one day a descendant would come, the wounded victor who will defeat evil at its source. And so despite humanity's evil, God is determined to bless and rescue his world. And so the big question, of course, is what is God going to do? And the next story, The Hinge, offers the answer. But for now, that's what Genesis 1-11 through is all about. So our opening question this morning is this. Is there disorder in your life? Is there disorder in your life? Now, what do we mean by that? Well, let me give you an example. Is there disorder in your physical health? There are some people in the world today that are sick. There are some people in the world today that physically are not doing well. They have disorder in their physical health. Now, some people have brought that disorder on themselves. They don't eat right, they don't exercise, and so they're not in really good shape. Some people have done nothing. They have not brought anything on themselves. Like my wife, Joanne, she has Crohn's disease, and there's nothing that she did to get, to get Crohn's disease. It just kind of happened. And some people have that kind of illness and that kind of physical disorder. Then there are those people who have had disorder brought on themselves by the actions of others. For instance, a child maybe whose mom was using drugs during the pregnancy. Now that child's health is in disorder. Or someone who was in a car accident and because of the negligence of someone else driving, they were injured and now their physical health is in disorder. Or how about your finances? Do you have disorder in your finances? And again, it could have been caused by nothing that you did. Maybe your company just decided to lay some people off, so now your finances are in disorder. Or maybe you caused it. Maybe you went crazy and just you know, ran up a whole bunch of credit cards to their limit, and now your finances are in disorder. I read a story this past week that kind of blew my mind. Maybe you saw it. I'm going to share it with you to give you an illustration of someone whose finances are in big-time disorder. Maybe you heard the story about the woman who canceled her wedding four days before it was supposed to happen. Did you guys read that story? If you haven't, let me tell you to you really quickly. Uh, There was a woman who uh, fell in love with a man, and she considered their, their love a fairy tale romance. So she wanted a fairy tale wedding. So the two of them got together and they were able to save up $15,000. Now you could probably have a pretty good, decent wedding for $15,000, but that's not the kind of wedding she wanted. She wanted a fairy tale wedding. So by the time she got done putting it all together, the total cost of her wedding was $60,000.
Now, if your wedding cost is $60,000, God bless you. But anyways, let's go to the story. Um, so this woman, she doesn't have sixty grand. So she's thinking to herself, well, how do I raise this kind of money? So she starts a GoFundMe page. Now, if you're not familiar with this, this is what people do when they have cancer or a serious disease and they can't afford the cost of the medication or the surgery, and, and people give money to help them be able to do that. Or some people get creative ideas and they start their own business, so they start a GoFundMe page. She started a GoFundMe page for her fairy tale wedding and she raised a grand total of $250. Yeah, nobody was buying into it. So she came up with this bright idea. This is what she did. Now imagine this happening to you. She sent out her wedding invitations. And in her wedding invitation, she says she requested only cash gifts. Actually, she was very specific. She wanted people to give her $1,500 a piece. So if you wanted to come to her wedding, you had to pay $1,500. She got eight RSVPs. Now, do the math, eight times 1,500. She is quite short of her $60,000 uh, fairy tale wedding. So her fiance comes along and says, you know, honey, maybe we should scale it down a bit. And she went off on him. She just flipped on him. And then, unfortunately, she had a little bit too much to drink and went on Facebook and just flipped on everybody. She was angry because she didn't feel like her friends and her family cared about her. Of course, they had the money. Besides, it was going to be a fairy tale wedding. It was worth $1,500 just to attend. But now they've ruined her life because they won't pay for her $60,000 fairy tale wedding. Now, there is someone whose finances are in disorder, right? And more than her just, <laughs> more than just her finances, which leads us to the next question. And it's quite serious. Is your marriage in disorder? Is your marriage in disorder? Is your family in disorder? Are your relationships in disorder? Is there disorder in your life at school, at work? It's no fun living a life of disorder, is it? It's exhausting. It's depressing. It's discouraging. People who live lives in disorder live bleak lives, dark lives, hopeless lives. But here's the good news. If you are here today and there's a part of your life that's in disorder, or you are here today and you know somebody whose life in disorder, you need to know that that's not part of God's plan. God did not create us to live in disorder. And here's even the better news. Here's the better news. And this is really our bottom line for the day. And in fact, if you have um, your bulletin inside, you'll see there are notes you can fill in the blanks if you want to. But here is the great news. And this should encourage you. I hope this will encourage you today. And it's simply this. That we have a God that can bring order out of disorder. Regardless of what kind of disorder you may be experiencing, we have a God who can bring order out of this disorder. And how do we know that? 
because of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to the very, very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. You can read along in your Bibles or on your phone or on your iPad or the, all the scripture will be up here on the screen. But let's begin in Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it, and it was so. And God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land and he gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, Plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their ant kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, Well, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant 
on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So in the beginning, the world was in disorder. We read, Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So what did God do with this disorder? He brought order into this disorder through creation. Now this tells us a couple things. Number one, it tells us that he has the power to do it. But folks, he's the only one that has the power to bring order into disorder. And we'll get back to that because that's important. But there are two observations I want to make about what we just read. And here's the first one. God brought order out of disorder by speaking. Did you catch that? God brought order out of disorder by speaking. He didn't use his hands. He didn't use tools. He spoke. We read over and over again, and God said, and God said, and God said. Now, why does that matter to us? Well, it's important because we don't see God and we can't touch God. But guess what? We can hear God. And so if you have disorder in your life and you're wondering how in the world God's going to bring order out of that, well, first of all, you need to know he's got the power. And secondly, you need to know it's probably going to have a lot to do with God speaking to you. Now, there are three ways that God speaks to us that we want to look at. And here's the first one. God speaks to us when we read the Bible. We used this verse last week. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed, which means it's authoritative, and it's the way God communicates with us. When we read his word, it's like reading a letter. God talks to us. God speaks to us through his word. That's why it's so important to read God's word over and over and over again. It's alive and it's active, and different times he will tell you and teach you and communicate to you different things. So God speaks to us through his word. Now here's the second way God speaks to us. He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. When we give our lives to Christ, he sends us the Holy Spirit, the counselor, to speak to our hearts and our minds, to convict us, to guide us, to direct us. I love the way Jesus explained it to his disciples in John 16, verse 13. Jesus says that when he, the Spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit, comes He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, another way that God speaks to us is through his audible voice. Sometimes you hear people say that they hear God in kind of that still, small, quiet voice. But then there are others who have experienced God's booming voice. And probably one of the most well-known is in Matthew 3 verse 17 when jesus is baptized we hear this we read this and a voice from heaven said this is my son whom i love with him i am well pleased how awesome would that have been to have been there to hear god's booming voice right 
So God's got the power and God is going to speak to us. Now here's one more thing we need to see. And it's not, a lot, it's not talked about a lot, but I think it's important. God brought order out of disorder through his creativity. We don't think about this a lot, but God is the most creative in the world. The most creative. Now, we think to ourselves, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. If I was there during creation, I would have probably have done the same thing. What's so creative about the sun and the moon and this? No, you wouldn't have. I'm going to promise you right now, if I was there at creation, I would have been clueless. And because we just can say those things in retrospect. But the, the truth is that our minds and our brains and our intellect and our creativity don't even come close to God's. Right? Now, why is this important to talk about? Well, because I guarantee you this. If you are here today and you have disorder in your life, you've got plans to fix it. Especially if you're a guy. Nothing against women, but I'm only speaking for guys because I am a guy. We are fixers. And the minute there's a problem, I start developing a way to fix it. Right? But here's the problem with that. If your ways to fix your disorder don't include God, you're in big trouble. If you did not go to God first and say, Hey God, I've got this disorder and I need your help. What should I do? If you're trying to go on your own, Chances are good you're not even come close to figuring out how to do it. In fact, God sets us pretty straight in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9, this is what we read. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. Folks, in other words, God has a plan. And his plans are perfect. And his plans are the only ones that matter. And so if your life is in disorder today, you need to know that God's got the power to bring order out of that disorder. You've got to know that God is going to be speaking to you, so you need to be listening to him, and you've got to know that God has the creativity. So it's very likely that his plan to bring, dis- to bring order out probably won't even get close to your plan. So be ready for that creativity. So let's stop here for a moment. Let's stop here for just a moment. And let's ask this big question. Okay, but what if... The disorder that we have in our lives is brought to us because of our sin. What if it's our sin that has caused our disorder? How in the world is God going to be able to bring order out of that? Well, the answer is in Genesis chapter 3. So go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Again, it'll be up on the screen if you want to follow along there. Genesis 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Well, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. 
For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, Well, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, Well, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me some from the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, Well, what is this you have done? And the woman said, Well, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. All right, so there's three observations that we need to make from the scripture, and here's the first one. God brings order out of our self-causing disorder with mercy, with grace, mercy, and forgiveness. God begins bringing order out of our self-causing disorder with grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Think about it for a moment. They were given one rule to follow, and they couldn't even keep it. Would you have been surprised if we had read this story, and when God found Adam and Eve hiding, he zapped them with a lightning bolt? No. They goofed up. They disobeyed. But God did not do that. What did he do? Verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. They were embarrassed. They were in shame. And what did God do? He covered their guilt, and he covered their shame, which really is a precursor to what he was going to do with Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. 
But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, folks, here's the good news. If you're here today, and you have disorder in your life because of your sin, God's already made the first move. God has sent his son, Jesus. Just like he sacrificed the animal so that he could clothe Adam and Eve, he has sacrificed Jesus so he can clothe us and cover our shame and cover our guilt. Now here's a second observation. God brings order out of our self-causing disorder when we confess our sins. Now, Adam and Eve confessed their sins, but you got to be honest, right? It was kind of a lame confession. Right? I mean, Adam was like, yeah, I did it, but only because the woman you put here gave me the apple. And then Eve was like, well, yeah, I did it, but only because of the serpent. So they, they kind of confessed, but they kind of blamed, and yet, you know what? God still forgave them. If you're here today, and there is sin in your life, you need to know that you can ask God to forgive you, and he will. And not only will he forgive you, but listen how it's put in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In other words, that disorder that you have, that broken relationship you have with God, that broken relationship you have with people, when you confess your sins, God brings order into that disorder. He repairs that relationship between the two of you. He cleanses you. He wipes away your sin. And that's everybody. And that's every sin. Now there's one more observation, and it's really an important one, and it's this. God brings order out of our self-causing disorder by allowing us to experience the consequences of our sin. And this is key. He allows us to experience the consequences of our sin. Imagine this for a moment. Imagine God finding Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve confesses, and then God goes, eh, human's going to be humans, and walks away. What kind of effect would that have had on Adam and Eve? They probably started looking at each other going, that's it? That's all he's going to do? Psh, let's go eat some more apples, Right? They would have gone and eaten the whole tree. Not only that, they probably would have never obeyed God. They would have said, yeah, you know, sure, we're supposed to obey him, but there's no consequences. Let's live it up. And they would eventually hurt themselves. But God didn't do that. God allowed them to experience consequences and let them know that when you sin, when you disobey, when you rebel, you're going to suffer. You're going to struggle. But that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because we need to know this. James chapter 1, verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Folks, there are way too many people in the world today that are living lives of disorder because of their sin. And they're saying to themselves, you know, yeah, my life's kind of in disorder, but it's not so bad. I can deal with it. I mean, there are worse things, right? I mean, there are men and women who live in this world today who, you know, they're not supposed to, like, just 
divorce their husband and their wife willy-nilly so they can move on to someone else, but they do. And it's a little difficult, but they're like, you know what, that wasn't so bad. So they do it again, and 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 I just didn't make that up. I was actually watching TV one night, and this like infomercial came on, and this woman was, was doing this series, and she was selling her books and her tapes on how to have a healthy marriage. She's like, you know what? I know how to have a successful marriage because I have all the experience. I've been married five times. And I was like, am I falling asleep? Is this real? It was real. It's crazy, but it was real. Folks, you can't just live in sin willy-nilly and not expect the consequences to build. You can't keep putting disorder on top of disorder and not expect that someday you're going to experience death. Whether it's a physical death or maybe it's going to be a figurative death or maybe it's going to be the death of a marriage or a death of a relationship or a death of your finances. You've got to stop sinning. You've got to stop sinning. All right, let's move on to our next steps. Now, we've been talking about a lot of next steps already, so I'm just going to tell you a story. It's a true story, but I think it illustrates a lot of what uh, we're talking about. I shared it many years ago, um, so I'm going to share it with you again this morning. There was a married couple, and they had a, a five-year-old, I believe a five-year-old son, and so life is good, right? And that five-year-old son got sick. And so now his life is in disorder. And it's not anything that he did, he just got sick. So he has physical disorder. And then he dies. Now let me stop here for a second because this is important. He died. So that meant he went home to heaven, which means his life was no longer in disorder. It was in perfect order. He never went to heaven and thought for one second, man, I wish I'd go back to earth. Home is where we want to be. And home is where he was. And sometimes that's how God brings order out of disorder. He takes us home with him where it's awesome and it's perfect and there's no sickness and there's no suffering. But back on earth, his mom and dad, her lives were in disorder. Now, after all we've talked about this morning, we all know what they're supposed to do, right? This man, this woman, this husband, this wife, they've just lost their son. Their lives are in disorder. But God has the power to bring order out of this disorder. And God wants to speak to them and God wants to lead them and God's got the creativity and God's got the plan and God's got the timing and he will bring order into their lives if they choose and trust. Remember the beginning of the video talked about how God has set this up. We get to either choose and trust God or we choose our own autonomy. We've got that choice. We're not puppets. So they have a choice. Now, unfortunately, the wife chooses to walk away from God. And the wife chooses to fix her own disorder herself, and she chooses to do so by leaving her husband and hooking up with another guy. Now, I don't know what happened to that woman because I came in after that part of the story, but I do know this. I do know that if she eventually turns to God and asks God to forgive her, he will. 
He will bring order out of that disorder. She will deal with the consequences. She'll have to, but God will walk with her through them. Her life is not over, but I don't know what happened to her. I do know what happened to the husband. He stayed focused on God. He stayed focused on God. And so he read the word. He went to church. He listened to God. The Holy Spirit guided him. It wasn't easy, but he stayed focused on God. Now, things didn't get fixed in a day. Things didn't get fixed in a year. Order wasn't brought right away. In fact, it took several years. But one day, this man met a woman whose life was in disorder. Because this woman had lost her husband to death at a very young age. He died suddenly and left her with a son and a daughter. So her life was in disorder. But guess what she did? She trusted God. And guess what God did? He brought them together. And so he brought order to their lives. And they got married. And now the man who lost his son had a son and a daughter. Is there a disorder in your life? Is there a disorder in someone else's life that you care about and you love? I want to encourage you today that you are not alone. This is not a secret to God. He sees everything. And I want to encourage you today to trust him. He has the power to bring order out of that disorder. How is he going to do it? I don't know. He's got that creativity. He's got the plan. You've got to trust him. But you've got to hold on to him. You've got to keep listening. You can't shut him off. You've got to keep reading his word and listening to him. You've got to keep listening for the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Let God lead you. Trust God. It's your choice. And know we got a God who can bring order out of any disorder. I'm going to stop here now, and I just want to pray. I want to pray for anyone here today who has disorder. Maybe it's because of something uh, that's been done to them. Maybe it's just because it's just there. Or maybe you have disorder in your life because you are sinning. So I'm going to pray for you right now. So let's just take a moment and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we first of all just praise you. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for speaking order into disorder. And we thank you, Lord, for showing us that you have that power. And Father, I want to pray right now for anyone whose lives are struggling. They're in disorder. Maybe it's their health, or maybe it's their finances, or their marriage, or their family, or their friends, or school, or work, or maybe it's something else. I don't know. But Father, whatever it is, let them know that you've got the power, you've got the plan. Lord, help them to be patient and just wait on you and listen to you. Lord, help them not to give up and go their own way. Lord, help them not to give up and stop reading your word. Lord, help them not to give up and stop listening to you. Lord, there are too many people in this world that are giving up. There are too many people in this world that are living in disorder and in chaos. And they don't have to because you didn't create us to live that way. You don't want us 
to live that way. So, Father, if there's anyone here today who is struggling, Father, speak to them. Guide them, Lord, with your spirit. If there is sin in their life, Lord, convict them. Let them know, Lord, that you have forgiven them already and they just need to ask and it'll be given. You'll forgive them and you'll cleanse them. And Lord, if there's someone here today that has disorder because they just keep sinning over and over and over again, Lord, help them to wake up and realize that the consequences are going to get much worse. They don't have to. They can stop. You will help them resist temptation. You will help them not to sin. And Father, we just again praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.